sometimes you have to just stand up and cast your vote for mediocrity. Hi, I'm Peggy Hames. I'm the host of Making Midlife Matter and I'm a coach for women in midlife, helping you to reconnect with your heart, rediscover your voice, and begin dreaming new dreams. So I have been thinking lately about mediocrity. Now there's a a story behind it. The other week I was recording a podcast with uh, my friend Dr. Joey Fawcett for his Faith Positive podcast. And before we started recording, we're just kind of chatting and and we're using the video conferencing software. And so he said, I asked, well, tell me about that picture. I'm, I'm just seeing a corner of it behind your shoulder. And I said, oh, oh, that's a, a painting that I did. It's from the old city in, in San Diego. And the, the pictures of these huge clay jars filled with all different colors of flowers. And it's a, it was really a quite lovely scene and, and a quite lovely experience to paint it. Well, Joey just kind of rolled his eyes. It's like, yeah, you, you paint too? Like, come on, Ames. But... There's really a much bigger story behind that picture and behind the fact that I actually have it in my office and that I didn't position my chair and my computer in such a way that it it wouldn't be shown. You know, I, you just see a corner of it, but it's, that's okay. You see, here's here's the story. I grew up with a dad who was an artist. Now, uh, being a kid, I thought everybody's life was like this. I thought everybody got to watch their dad painting pictures on the weekends. You know, when I decided, he asked me what kind of painting I wanted for my bedroom, and I was and am horse crazy. So I asked him to paint me a picture of a horse, and he did, and that's just the way it was. You know, we'd have a certain picture hanging over the sofa in the living room until he painted a new one. Then the new one went in. Well, one of the consequences of that, besides having, like, art gallery walls in our home, one of the consequences of that was that they really encouraged my creativity. And growing up, there's always, you know, whether it's coloring books or crayons. Now, to be honest, I never got the super, super, super duper huge box of crayons that was like the size of a short box. I never got that one, but I got like the 64 box of crayons with the sharpener in it. I had finger paints and and the cheap watercolors. And then as I started getting older, at some point, I guess I was in junior high, he uh, bought me a set of acrylics. So I think that's be easier than oils. Let's start painting. Well, I took an art class. And in that art class, we were doing a painting. So I had my little acrylics and working on painting. Well, one day, one week, the um, teacher gave me the really bad news that I could not paint the sky all semester. Because I got to tell you, I really loved painting that sky. And I loved painting those clouds. But he told me I had to go ahead and and finish up the painting. If I was going to finish up the class, I needed to finish up the painting. So it was um, a, a mountain, this little, 
like more of a, a big hill uh, on, the, on the shores of a lake. And so I brought it home one weekend to work on it. So I was in my dad's studio working on it. And uh, he was working on a painting himself. And I kept looking at his painting. And I kept looking at my painting. And then I looked at his painting. And then I looked at my painting. Now my dad was a graduate of the Art Institute of Pittsburgh. Um, not to mention being a grown adult whose work at that point still involved lots of drawing. He was in advertising. But I looked at my painting of my little seventh grade self and I decided in that moment that I was never going to be as good as my father, so why bother? And after I finished up that picture for my art class, I put my paints away. I didn't pick them back up for years and years. I mean, I'd finished high school, I went to college, I went to seminary, like years, over a decade, I didn't touch a paintbrush because I knew I was never going to be as good as my father. Now, in, in the um, place where I started working after seminary, but where I served in my first ministry position in the mall, there was an art supply store. <laughs> That's really back in the day. But there was, and, and every time I passed by it, I felt this longing to go in there. And I told myself it was just nostalgia. You know, I had grown up and, and things like paintbrushes and oils and linseed oil and all of that and canvases, they connected me back to my father and watching him paint. And I said, that's all that is, that's all that is. Don't be stupid. You'll never be as good as your father. One day, I just said, you know, it doesn't matter. And I went in the store. I can still see it. In my memory, it's kind of dark in that store and, and narrow, crowded aisles. But I remember running my fingers over the, the brushes and, and feeling the differences in them. You know, the thick, stiff brushes and the, the ones that were softer and more pliable and looking at all of the different colors of paint and the canvases. And I realized I didn't care anymore. I didn't care about being as good as my dad because I knew I was never going to be. So I looked up in the community college catalog and I found a, a night class on painting and I started painting again. Yeah, I'd have to set my easel up in my tiny little kitchen, but I started painting again. And what I discovered was that one, I had a whole lot to learn, but that also I loved this. I loved doing this, that for me, painting, 
and and by this time I was painting in oils. I, working with those oils to me it was a form of meditation. You know, I'd sit in front of that canvas and work and, and trying to get that color just right or, or trying to create the effect I wanted to create. And sometimes you just have to hold your chin in your hand and just sit with it for a little while because the painting hasn't quite yet told you what it needs to have done. This painting that I've got in my office I cannot tell you how much joy it brought me to paint this picture. I'm smiling. If you could see me recording this podcast, I have got an ear-to-ear grin just with the memory of sitting on the stool in front of my easel and painting this picture. I remember when I was was, uh, on in San Diego on vacation and toured the old city. And I remember coming up upon this picture, the the huge clay pots and the bright flowers and the stucco wall behind it. And immediately I thought, I want to paint this. I stopped caring. I stopped not caring about, I didn't stop caring about trying to do as best as I could in that moment. I stopped caring whether or not it was mediocre. I stopped caring whether or not someone would objectively say, wow, what a great painting. The biggest thing is I stopped caring whether or not I was ever going to be the artist that my father was. I just let that one go because it did not serve me. So now I have this painting in my office and actually sometimes people look at it and go, wow, you did that? Wow, I love that painting. I love it too. For a whole lot of reasons. Mostly I love the paintings that I have around me that remind me of rediscovering that joy and allowing myself to make my to to do something that made my heart sing whether or not anybody else in the world thought I was any good at it you know by the time we get to midlife we usually have like a whole laundry basket full of stuff if not more of things we've put to the side because somebody told us we weren't any good at it my my mother she was it was a hard thing for her to be married to an artist who could draw so easily and paint so well because when she was in high school the teacher held up her, her picture in front of the class and laughed at it ridiculed her for that do you think she ever 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 picked up anything and tried to draw again no In fact, she labeled herself as not being creative, despite the fact that from the time I was born until I was a teenager, she made every, almost every stitch of clothing that I had, at least every stitch that wasn't a hand-me-down. And despite the fact that she created this beautiful yard 
and, and that she put plants in all of the right places and all of the right colors. And despite the fact that she, she baked wonderful cakes, she never ever was able to claim her creativity and to enjoy the blessing of it because all she could see was that art teacher holding up her picture and laughing at her. Ah, oh, look at Miss Fox's picture. We, by the time we get to midlife, most of us have a whole bunch of those kinds of things. It may not be around art for you. It may be somebody told you you couldn't sing. Or it may be somebody said you were stupid to try to run because you were fat and slow and how awful that was. There was a, a story about two women finishing very last in a marathon and I, I, I have blocked out which city it was. But they kind of found each other in the race and then decided to finish together hand in hand. And of course they were hours behind the first finishers and they had actually started taking down the the race course, although they shouldn't have been. They were within the allotted time. But they talked about the ridicule that they got from people. Man, you should run more. You're too fat. You should go you should be running more. I mean these these women were finishing a marathon, twenty six point two miles. And they were being made fun of for doing that. Now, props to them, they don't listen to that. And they weren't letting that stop them. What is it for you? Maybe it's trying your hand at drama or speaking or trying to bake bread. Or trying some new recipe or trying to knit. Even though the last time you tried, you pulled out as many as you as you kept as many stitches as you kept i uh i have hanging over my desk at home it's, it's not framed because it's not finished it's a a needle point of a horse and it's really beautifully done um but it's kind of stretched out of shape the the um canvas parts kind of stretched out of shape and really all that's left to be finished is just the background, the easy stuff. My mother started that and she never finished it because she thought she just couldn't get it right enough. And she gave up trying. The truth of it is the horse on that needle point is beautiful. So what is it for you? Who told you? that you weren't any good at something. Unless we are talking about surgery, you know, unless we're talking about something on that level, surgery or, um, I don't know, programming the computers for our missile defense shield or, or something on that level. Think about doing what you want to do, even if it's mediocre. Even if it is really not good by objective standards, if it brings you joy, allow yourself that joy. 
You know, we got enough hard things in life. We don't have to keep ourselves from the delight of what really makes our hearts glad. You know, I think sometimes people who enjoy fishing can be our great teachers in this. Because I know of some people who will spend all day sitting by the water. And for whatever reason, they don't catch a thing. But they don't come home and they say, Oh my gosh, I'm such a horrible fisherman or fisherwoman. I should never do this again. They say, Gosh, what a beautiful day it was. I wish the fish had been biting, but... Boy, it was so lovely just sitting by the water. Now, you may be married to someone who enjoys fishing or live with someone who enjoys fishing who has a quite different reaction. But I know some people who do say that. That it's it's not about excelling. Look, if you cruise through a bookstore or through Amazon, you'll find all kinds of books about greatness, the good to great organization, or um, being great, or the, uh, what's the podcast? Put in greatness in a podcast search, and I'll bet you come up with at least half a dozen, school of greatness, half a dozen things about greatness, and that is well and good, and yes, We do need to aspire to the very best of ourselves. But if ourself also includes a pretty mediocre writer or painter or needleworker or seamstress or tailor or whatever, if it makes your heart glad and it doesn't hurt anybody else and it's not going to scare the children you go for it yeah I didn't tell you the whole story about my dad's painting after I I started painting again and, and took the class at community college and 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 started painting more one day I noticed that my dad had changed his signature. Excuse me, this is in me. <clears throat> he changed the way he signed his paintings. He used to just sign them Hames, which is a pretty unusual name. I noticed he'd started signing them J. Hames. And when I commented on that to him, he said, well, yes, of course. Because there are two artists named Hames now. Oh boy, that makes my heart full. So listen, friends, don't keep yourself from something just because you're not the best at it. Let yourself love what you love. I'm Peggy Hames. You can catch me at heartcallings.com. I'm recording this on Friday, May 24th. Tomorrow, May 25th, I open up the doors to the Good Life at Midlife membership, uh, a membership for women in midlife that I am so excited about and delighted to be offering to you.
So if you'd like more information on it, you can go to heartcallings.com backslash membership. I hope to see you there. In the meantime, until next time, take care.